Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create. These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Rhythms of Renewal, trading stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm. Hey friends, welcome back. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Gabe. And we are so glad you're joining us for this next episode. It's our 100th episode. Crazy. I know. 100 episodes. <laughs> That's two, a lot of words. I mean, two years. <laughs> I know. You guys have put up with a lot. I mean, to listen to us go back and forth and all these interviews. I mean, it's it's kind of a great moment of contribution, I hope, to your life, to those in your community. And we're thankful for all of you because you've been on this journey with us. We hear from you all the time about you listening as you're going for your walks or in the car with your family, women who are bringing their husbands along who are starting to hear these conversations. And and I think the next hundred are going to be probably more important than ever. Yeah, we have loved just all the guests that we've had on. I mean, Gabe and I, I often re-listen to things more than once because there's just so many experts that have given their time and energy to this uh, community. And I'm so thankful because I hope that we're all more emotionally healthy as a result, just really putting science and faith at the center of well, like, our, what, our journey. What's wild is when we did episode one, nobody understood where the world was going to be right now. Right. And to have this whole focus on our emotional health, spiritual health, physical health, relational health, going through a pandemic season, going through a lot of change for all of us, for our families, we just thank God that He gave us the idea to do this, that we're all learning together. We learn mm-hmm. from you guys, the things you send us, that your notes, your thoughts, the ways you're living out rhythms. And so as we move into these coming episodes, just stay with us. Like We're going to keep pushing in to what it's going to take for all of us to live in the healthiest place we could imagine. Because truly, our health starts to determine what life's going to look like in the days ahead. Absolutely. The way you feel every morning when you wake up dictates how you're going to pursue your relationships, your calling, your dreams, your future, all of those things. And if you don't feel well or your brain is not functioning very well, then everything pays the price for that. Yeah. So... Last week, we talked briefly. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to it. But Rebecca described our first devotional that's coming out in a few weeks called A Surrendered Yes, 52 Devotions to Let Go and Live Free, where there's 52 stories and principles and ideas to really help you live into this idea of a surrendered yes. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. I've never done a devotional and was really excited about the opportunity to be, you know, on your bedside table or on your coffee table for 52 devotions, you know, because I think a lot of times um, it's hard to stick with a book to the end. You have to really love it. But a devotional is is a nugget for that day. It's a word of wisdom. It's scripture. It's reflection. And it's around these three topics of saying yes, uh, saying yes to God, saying yes to yourself, and saying yes to others. Yeah. And you created a quiz for people that they can have access to today that helps them better understand their healthiest yes. So right. there's five areas. Describe maybe those five areas. Right. So we say yes typically in five different categories, whether it's our health, our relationships, our future, our identity, or our dreams. 
These are usually the places that God will invite us into, these buckets, these categories. And some of those yeses come more naturally than others. Some, for me, health, it com- that's an easy yes, yes, I can do that. Or future, yeah, I can trust God with that. But sometimes with relationships, I get insecure. Or my identity, sometimes I question and I have to go back to what God says about me. And so we wanted to create a quiz that would make it simple. It's, it's 40 questions, five minutes, multiple choice, where you can discover your healthiest yes and then get some tips tips and resources on how to grow the other one. Yes, we're encouraging everybody in the community to go to RebeccaLines.com slash quiz. It's another opportunity to learn a little more about how you naturally surrender and those areas where we hold on a little bit and we can grow in. And it's going to also give you tips on how do you start to grow in those areas where it hasn't been so easy to surrender and to say yes. So take that at RebeccaLines.com slash quiz. Now, as we move into our conversation for today, I think you're going to be deeply encouraged. We're talking with Dr. Mark Mayfield, and he is an incredible clinical psychologist who works with all kinds of different cases and people at different ages of life, but specifically works with a lot of younger people in their teens, as well as moving into their 20s. And he's going to be with us today talking about how to flourish after trauma. You're going to hear us describe the trauma of what the last year has looked like for all of us. And he defines it that way, that we've all been through a trauma. And so it's important for us to take time to understand, well, how do we flourish? Where do we go from there when we move past trauma? He wrote a book called The Path Out of Loneliness, Finding and Fostering Connection to God, Ourselves, and One Another. I got to sit down with him and have this conversation. Let's listen in now. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, Rebecca and I just love the fact that your approach to all of this has been to better understand loneliness and what it's doing to our brains. Uh, we hear a lot of conversations around the epidemic that's happening with loneliness. Um, you're a, you're somebody who I think it's over fifteen thousand appointments, you know, through your clinic every year. You're seeing, you're treating and seeing people who are in a crisis moment. Mm-hmm. And and I know that's just this small little dot in the middle of the ocean of what's happening in our world. But from your perspective, have you seen an onslaught in the last couple of years? Like, What's your macro view on where we sit right now in 2021 with the loneliness epidemic? Well, it's just, it is, uh, it's fascinating to me because I think it masquerades itself uh, in, in different formats, right? We I was just doing some uh, some research today and doing a recording uh, and looking at just the overall leading causes of death between 2019 and 2020, and we're up uh, over 15.1 percent uh, in total. Uh, you know, not natural causes of death, but just death in general, uh, from heart disease to cancer to to COVID to accidents to stroke to suicide. Um, and it's I'm looking at the stats, and I can't make a correlative. You know. Uh, comment right now, but it looks like a lot of the things that are killing us are due to how our body is responding to a lack of connection and lack of relationship. Wow. Yeah. And there's been people making that claim, right? That the lockdowns, the policies in which we've gone forward mm-hmm. in the last year around the world has has created untold numbers of problems, damage, mm-hmm. fallout, that it's going to always be hard to calculate, but when you start to look at the real numbers, then you start doing the work and you're like, okay, there's something more happening here. Clearly, this has been horrible for human beings, like to live this way. And this isn't how we were 
meant to live. I know in the youngest generations, that's that's where we saw huge numbers. I know last yes. summer, you know, the CDC was reporting that huge twenty five percent of eighteen to twenty four year olds having suicidal thoughts. I don't know. Are you seeing those numbers continue to to stay the same to grow? Uh, what what's the state when we look at our youngest generation? Yeah. I mean, that's where I, I, my heart just hurts for that, those generations, the, the Gen Z, the alpha generations, because, uh, you know, if we didn't have it hard to begin with, with just the overindulgence in social media and screens and those types of things, now we're having to do school online. We're having to do school disconnected. Uh, and God didn't design us to be uh, doing things on screens. He designed us to be doing things face-to-face and in proximity. And, you know, parts of our brain don't light up uh, in that relational connectedness unless we're in proximity with each other. And so we've seen just an uptick, especially in our phone calls here at our practice, we've seen an uptick in uh, uh, depression and anxiety Um what I think the the system of the world calls you know behavioral disorders, which I disagree with. I think it's just uh, a kid trying to express their need in the best way they possibly can, um, and it might not be uh, in a in a good way. Um, but we've seen those things uptick, and so our increase in adolescent uh, uh, phone calls has been, I you know if I had to put a number on it, probably twenty twenty five percent over the course of the last year. Yeah. So what what's happening in our brains when we're not connecting with people? I mean, you, you just mentioned like mm-hmm. certain parts of our brains don't light up. Could you describe more in detail for those listening who really want to understand the science of what's happening, what what's taking place in our brain? Well, absolutely. I think you know we we you know, look through scripture and we're created for connection and we're created for relationship. And you know, it's 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 amazing to me as we look at like Genesis chapter three. Uh, verse nine, when when God's walking through the garden after Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, and He asked the question, "Where are you?" And I think we look at that, we overlook that because I think we engage that as kind of uh, God was geographically challenged, and it's like, no, He wasn't. He knew exactly where they were, but that that connective piece, that spiritually, emotionally, mental piece, was was missing. It was gone now. And there's parts of our brain uh, in the cortical limbic system, which is kind of our emotional reactive center of the brain where we can express our emotions, our fight, flight, or freeze response. That's kind of the primitive brain that keeps keeps us alive, keeps us safe, but is also kind of where the adolescents are stuck at times, right? They react emotionally first and they think later. But one of the things when we're not in proximity with each other, um, there's not the ability to make that uh, connective leap from our emotional center of the brain to our frontal cortex, which is our thinking, reasoning, higher order thinking part of the brain. And a lot of that gets done when we become more emotionally adept at reading facial features and picking up on energy of the room and body language and voice tone and cues and those kinds of things that can only really be done when we're in the same space. And when we have been you know, that relegated to screens and screens only, uh, whether that be by choice or by lockdown, uh, that creates a deficit. It's kind of that use it or lose it principle. And if we don't use it and exercise it, we're going to lose it. As you know, I deeply believe in the positive and restorative impact of 
getting outside and moving our bodies on a regular basis. I am always trying to explore new trails around our home because this is the thing that I just look forward to all the time. I love doing this as a family, and I've recently discovered the perfect app for this. Happily is a family adventure app that helps parents and caretakers find trusted playgrounds, hiking and walking trails, stroller running routes, indoor activities, kid-friendly eats, and more. We can search for places locally or when we are on the go, and we have loved seeing our kids have so much fun outside because of it. To celebrate their partnership with us, Happily is giving Rhythms for Life listeners a complimentary one-year premium membership. Use the access code Rebecca all uppercase to take the advantage of this great opportunity. You can go to happily.com, that's H-A-P-P-Y-L-Y.com to redeem this access code. Create an account, download the Happily app, and begin your adventure as a premium member. We hope you enjoy Happily and can make the most of the time spent with the ones you love. Mark, would you consider the last year of life for most people a trauma? Oh, gosh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you said that and used that word because I think uh, we at times will downplay what happened. Um, But I think we have a shared trauma now that our society as a whole has experienced. Now, how we have come through it or walk through it is dependent on a lot of protective factors of our upbringing, our culture. Uh, our emotional intelligence, our resilience, our grit, our faith in um, in God uh, plays a big role into how we've navigated that. But yes, definitely has been a shared trauma. Well, how, how do you define clinically trauma? And how, how does that definition relate to what people have gone through this year? If, if some of them are like, well, it hasn't been that bad, or I've, I've found my way through sure. it. But like, what, what would you say are, is the trauma part? Yeah, so I think we look at two different things. There's big T trauma, I think, which is like combat in Iraq or a major car accident or sexual assault. And then there's small T trauma, which is, uh, you know, our, our safety is brought into concern. We're, uh, you know, a, a rise in anxiety, uh, shame, guilt, bullying, uh, or different types of, you know, there's the list could go on of kind of small T traumas. And I think depending on where, uh, you know, just our circumstances, some of us experience big T traumas uh, with the pandemic and some of us have experienced small T traumas. But basically what happens is our body picks up on sensory input. Something is not right. Something is not safe. And our sympathetic nervous system goes into fight, flight, or freeze mode. Uh, It dilates our pupils. It slows down our digestion. It sends blood from the brain, the thinking and reasoning part of the brain, to our organs and our muscles for either protection or running. And it goes into survival mode. And, uh, you know, that enhances, I think, the disconnection um, that we have from others because we're on high alert now. And I, ideally, if we're in a, in a relationship or in a counseling relationship, a, a spiritual relationship, a marriage, a friendship where we have some safety, you know, that trauma can happen. But then our parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and it's, it, it shuts everything down. It calms everything down. It, it reengages the thinking part of the brain. And we're able to reason through, okay, that, that really stunk and that was hard. But because of my EQ and my IQ or my uh, mental health or my support systems, I'm able to process through that in a healthy way, re-engage my uh, parasympathetic nervous system, and and walk out of it. Yeah. Would you consider 
like things like people living in society today and not knowing who they can trust, what information is true, all those contribute to not feeling safe, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. Yeah, John Eldridge talks about this in, in his latest book, that we actually have so much information coming at us 24-7, it's hard for us to differentiate what's true, what's not, what we can trust, what we can't trust. And our bodies were not designed for that. I know uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson talks about that as well. Uh, we just can't we can't assimilate all that information. Yeah, Neil Postman wrote, writes about this in a book called Building a Bridge to the 18th Century and he he describes this was 1997 when he wrote it but he's describing a world of information you know this is 25 years ago almost but how we think because we're getting information we're we're growing smarter but the reality is you know information organized is how you get knowledge and then once you have knowledge that's not even enough you really you're looking for wisdom and and what it seems as is true today is we have so much information but we're lacking wisdom and even in our leadership, there seems to be a lack of wisdom in the ways in which um, there's knee-jerk reactions to every piece of information. And I think the trauma that people are experiencing to not know who to trust, the upside of that is you start to move back to center of like, oh, who do I trust, right? Who are my friends, my family? My, you know, I'm not going to rely so much maybe on media or social media or these sources that I can't feel, see, touch, like I'm going to maybe not trust that as much. That's not necessarily great for society, but it it's probably where you start to rebuild trust again. I mean, I'm asking you, is that is that what people, where do people go from here? Because part of where I want to go with this is how do we flourish after this trauma? It's like, how do we start to rebuild trust, connection, if we find ourselves, or somebody listening today is like, yeah, I feel lon- lonelier than ever, or my daughter, my teenager He's feeling ang- anxious and depressed and lonely. I mean, I saw today an, an article in the news that was kind of focused on all these TikTokers that are young that have recently died. And so many of them have died from suicide with like a million followers. And they, they were kind of sharing their journeys. And then all of a sudden, they're just like, I'm out. You know, they, yep. they, they couldn't continue with it. Um, that's what this generation's growing up with. So how do we start to give some hope about the way forward after trauma? Well, I think it's it has to come back to, uh, and these are the three things that I always come back to, identity, hope, and purpose. I hate the question, who am I? I'd rather ask the question, whose am I? And, you know, as as a, as a believer and as a Christ follower, it's like it, we have to come back to whose we are and really come back to that foundation. And apart from that, I, I think it's, it's really hard. Um, you know, I... I, my practice is not a, a Christian counseling practice because I really believe that the Holy Spirit can do his work, whether or not we explicitly discuss, uh, you know, uh, the Bible in our sessions, but the Holy Spirit within me, uh, is, is more powerful in doing the work in meeting people where they're at than I could ever do. And I think coming back to, uh, the hope that we have in whose we are after a trauma. And I think it's really pairing back, uh, like you said, all the information, pairing back all the messages that are coming at us. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, having to get away from um, that, who's speaking into that. And so when when trauma happens, when I'm working with a client, uh, I really help them pair back the messages to kind of that singular narrative. And we, we work at bringing that narrative to light, telling the story, giving them a voice around their trauma, helping them hear it, see it, experience it. But then we move on from there and go, okay, now let's write the narrative of, of whose you are, you know, with, with, you know, Christ over it. And then 
really engaging that way forward of what do you want this future to be as you've learned about who you are, whose you are, and all the things that you've learned about your experience of the trauma uh, to be a better, uh, a better individual, uh, uh, more resilient, uh, having more grit, more depth, I think is a big piece of it too. I think oftentimes we try to ignore and move through the pain instead of learn from it. Yeah, I, that's my tendency. I move through, and that's something I've learned about myself over the last many years is I just move on and move move past and going back and dealing with the pain and scars and the wounds um, always feels like a waste of time in the moment, right? <laughs> Until it comes out sideways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until I'm, I'm raising my voice at my kids or, or arguing with Rebecca about something that just makes no sense to be having an argument about and you start to realize there's unhealth here what what's happening where is that coming from and i think what i've learned is that that starts to happen when we just move through and and i guess this is one of those years where the big temptation is to move through and not acknowledge and understand how this has affected our psyche our relationships how we're viewing other human beings as whether safe or not or can, can i hug you or not um i'm not seeing faces as much so there's so much people have had to walk through that i love that you're saying let's take a moment and assess the wound of that but then then resilience i mean how does resilience play into that um and and how do we how do you become resilient without just moving through because sometimes it can feel like that's what resilience is is i'm just going to power up and move through but you're you're saying no there's something more as a step before that maybe that creates resilience well I, i like the the analogy that resilience is like uh you know the if you pull back a rubber band right? Uh, and, and stretch it out almost to its breaking point, And then you let go, it bounces back to almost its, its similar form. It's been stretched, but it's bounced back to a similar form. And I think we often think of resilience in, in, in different in ways that maybe aren't beneficial, like just get over it, get, you know, get through it, get to the other side, where I think resilience is our ability uh, to pick ourselves back up, to bounce back uh, in a way that that assimilates everything that we just experienced into a new viewpoint and a new picture uh, of life and of moving forward. It's not negating what happened. It's assimilating those pieces of information into uh, now my new uh, perspective. And I think that's a big, big deal. It's sitting with that tension. I think I tell this all the time is that we, we have to sit in the tension of the struggle. And if we don't sit in that tension, we will actually truly not grow. I think growth really only comes out of sitting with the tension and learning from it. Well, just going back to our current situation, and I'm thinking about our listeners who have teens, maybe preteens, people who in their life are dealing with depression, loneliness, anxiety, stress, suicidal thoughts. Um, this is becoming so more, so much more common than you could have, I could have ever imagined. I know you're seeing it every day, but even somebody outside that world, with just my own relationships, friends, parents, I'm hearing more and more about how their children are going through this and parents are at a loss. They're they're not sure what to do. They're they're trying to do everything they can for their children. They're trying to give them great environments, experiences, checking in with them. Um, but it just feels like it's in the air right now with with the youngest of, of our children all the way up through college. And so I'm curious for parents listening, like what are some of the signs? What are some of the ways they can be just paying close attention and and when they sense that their child's in this place it feels like there's two approaches. One is to coddle that a little bit and to say, you know, to really just, hey, what do you need? How can I how can I give you everything that you want right now in this moment? But there seems to be another frame of thought that's like, no, 
that's not the answer. The answer is tough love. It's it's mm-hmm. how do I help build resilience in this moment for my child to know how to get through this crisis? And I'm curious, what is your approach? Does it depend on the child, the severity of the thoughts? I mean, what what's a way a parent can think about that moment? Yeah, I'll give some uh, some higher level views maybe because I always talk about the idea that uh, our family culture really plays into that, right? So what is your family culture around emotional intelligence, mental health? How often do you talk about this regularly? And I think part of my encouragement for families is that it's it's good to talk about this stuff. It's good to let your kid know that you're struggling too in this way and let them see how you're navigating through it. I think it does definitely to you know, varying degrees, right? So on the extreme sides, you know, if there's a real change in behavior, a real acting out that is, that is beyond the norm, um, behavioral changes, maybe drug use or, you know, grade slipping, I think that's where you really uh, need to call in uh, uh, either a a, a pastor or a professional counselor just to sit with you in that. And I want to encourage parents, it's not that you're giving up or you're raising the white flag, it's that you're realizing where you need support and calling in that, that support, you know, and, um, you know, and, and bringing in a, a professional counselor that that views life the same way, right? A Christian worldview, a biblical worldview is really important, um, but doing it collaboratively with them to support you through that. But you know, with 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 kids that are uh, kind of struggling, kind of on the midline, I think I, I really challenge parents a lot of how well do you know your kid? You know, how how much time do you spend with them on their level, doing what they like? Um, you know, whether you like it or not, you know, and I've, I've had parents fight me on this a little bit here and there, but it's like, if your kid likes to play video games, get to know their world a little bit, you know, and, and spend time with them on their level. Um, don't drag them along doing your stuff. And I think if you engage in their world as much as you possibly can, you begin to understand the nuances of their, um, responses and their interactions. You know, I think somewhere along the line, we lose the longing of looking into our kids' eyes and understanding, how they're feeling and what they're going through, uh, just by, you know, our eyes tell us a lot. You know, I've I've got a 13 year old and I've got a three month old right now, and I love looking at my three month old in his, in the eyes and just studying the nuances of of his eyes. I used to do that with my girls, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't do that anymore. Probably because my 13 year old thinks it's weird. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> that tells us a lot about how they're doing, and I can sit there and go, and this is where I think parents get frustrated. I want to fix it. I want to fix it. No, just be present. And so sometimes when my daughter's not doing well, I'll say, hey, I'm noticing that something's off. Like I see you. Something's not not right. And I'm here to talk about it when you're ready instead of pushing. And then, you know, then we have to be ready for the, you know, 1030 at night, uh, midnight. Hey, I'm ready to talk about it. Well, I'm tired. No, like you told them, <laughs> you're going to be there when you. And so I think it's just, it's calling out what you see, letting them know that they're seen, Right the power of being seen beyond, hey, I'm fine, and then giving them an opportunity to take you up on that. And so we've created opportunities in our house. We've got sitting benches and places to hang out and just know that that we're available. Um, and that in a lot of ways, when you're available, it'll work itself out nine times out of ten. Yeah, so you're giving parents advice that they need to get into their child's world, which could mean, you know, I need to go watch that YouTube show that my my daughter likes to watch yep. of some other family, which I think is weird, but it's what a lot of kids do these days. Or TikTok, like I need to sit and just watch the little things they're watching, the dances, the videos. I need to understand this world that's communicating to them and then 
that's going to give me permission in a better way to maybe talk through some of that or, or to better understand at least what they're seeing, thinking, exposed to, what they're feeling. I think that's great. I kind of counter cultural advice. <laughs> yeah. Be curious. Yeah, that's good. We're so thankful for our partner Samaritan Ministries that helps partner with families, hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation who care for one another through prayer, encouragement, and financial support for medical needs. It's such a unique solution and it's biblically based to trying to provide for your healthcare needs. Connects you to other Christians who support you spiritually and financially when you experience a medical need. It's affordable and you can join today. And the way it works is you have the opportunity to submit any of your medical bills when a medical need arises. You choose the healthcare provider you want, the treatment that works best for you and your family, and then Samaritan Ministries helps cover those bills and pays you directly for those bills. Online resources are available to you 24-7. You have access to medical professionals by phone, email. You can get medical advice before you even visit the doctor, saving time and money. You can also price medical procedures and also choose a quality healthcare provider that you're happy with. So as you consider all of your options in caring for your medical needs, consider Samaritan Ministries, and you can learn more at samaritanministries.org slash rflpodcast. Again, that's samaritanministries.org slash rflpodcast. You know, the book that you've written, The Path Out of Loneliness, I mean, this is what I love about your writing and your work is you've really helped people know, how do we move forward? Like, how do we come out of this? How do we not just go, this is the new normal? This is the way it's just going to be. This is the new reality. We just need to talk about it all the time. But you're like, no, there's a way forward. And that's what we love to talk about here with Rhythms for Life is that there's ways to live. There's practices, there's habits, there's things we can put into place, like what you've just given us advice on to really help us proactively move forward in this, to not just assume this is the way it is, but but in, in a lot of ways even to prevent loneliness coming in the future. So would you share with us just what are some of those habits or practices that you've laid out that will help our listeners know how to come out of loneliness themselves or to direct those around them that they love to? Yeah, absolutely. I think a large part of this is recognizing where we are in our own journey, right? I think a lot of times... Uh, you know, if you're an Enneagram person, you know, we might be a two on the Enneagram and we want to really come alongside people and help, uh, you know, and, or we're go-getters in the three or whatever we are, you know, wherever we are in kind of how our personality is designed. Um, but I think uh, the, the place that we start, and if I can give any advice to your listeners is we have to take stock of where we are in the journey. We have to take stock of where we are in our own learn, you know, loneliness, and is it is it just about of you know, bouts of being lonely, which I think we're always will face throughout our life, or is it you know kind of that depth of loneliness where I don't feel like anybody really gets me, or I'm not being seen or understood or, or valued the way that I feel like I I should be, and and begin to ask ourselves those questions and begin to work on our own mental health and our own emotional health and our own spiritual health, I think is what happens first because when we want to start helping people, and we've not worked on our own self, we're going to create more damage and create more harm with the people that we are trying to help, whether well-intentioned or not. If we've not worked through or at least worked on our own stuff, uh, it could create more damage. And so I think that's kind of the first step that I would encourage people is just take a step back. Do you need to spend some time with a spiritual mentor or a pastor, or do you need to go and call up a a, a Christian counselor and, and just take some time to work on yourself so that you're present and available to help others? It's not that we have to go through the same thing everybody else has gone through, but we have to be able to be a little bit farther on the journey than others to be able to go back and to walk with them on that path, I think is a big one. 
But I think also a, a, another one is just taking um, a reflective look at the relationships that we have in our life and, and how we engage them. Um, are we in the, are we always there to try to fix it? Are we in that fix it mode or the advice giving mode, or are we able to sit and walk alongside people on their journey and be that sage, uh, be that person that can give some, um, some wisdom in that journey uh, and help people figure that out? Or are we just kind of that silent partner that's walking with, you know, we know that the presence, uh, our presence really helps people in that piece as well. How available are we being to others as well? I think those are just kind of two basic things without getting too complicated of, of how we can uh, begin the process. Yeah, well, I think that's helpful, practical. We'll just show up, be present, figure out where you can play a part in that person's journey and healing. But you can only do that if you know where you're at and you're being honest about where you're at. I want to ask you about one quote in your book that I just found fascinating I want you to elaborate on. But you you say this, quote, God knew from the beginning that it's not good for us to be abandoned to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So explain that. What did you mean by that? Well, I think the you know the original piece of just the journey of you know from from the the, the part of where sin interested into the world and he looked at man and it's like not it's not good for man to be alone. I think a lot of times we feel like nobody gets us. We feel like that we are uh, you know an anomaly out there to our you know out there and nobody else will ex- understand what we're going through. And when we get to that place of, of just giving up and in some ways just being like abandoned to ourselves, we are, uh, I think, forfeiting um, the ability to find commonality in story um, and to find commonality in, in the journey. And I think it's just what it is. It's a repurposed lie of, of Satan. He's, you know, he's whispering that in our ear that you know, nobody else is going to get you. You're, you're in this by yourself. Would you, how silly are you to think that anybody would understand where you're at? In your story, and I think a lot of times, me included, we give up uh, on trying to be known, at trying to be seen, um, or we give in, right, to uh, a tribalistic mindset. We give in to sin. We give in to something uh, just to fill that void for a moment. And I think uh, that is such a dangerous place to be, uh, and and just almost a, I wouldn't say fatalistic, but it's almost just a, a I'm giving up, right? Um, and right. it's not true. It's not true. Yeah, you're right. It's a lie that that the enemy wants us to believe, and it's it's not true. We have to call it out. Um, but it seems the spirit of our age is that it's all about ourself, right? And that we're better off on our own, and we'll be better off to do this alone. And yet, your work is to say, no, it's about connection. God's designed us for connection. Mm-hmm. Our brains flourish better, therefore, we're wired for this connection, and we'll experience a more flourishing life when we recover that and understand that. Well. Thank you, Mark, for your work. Thank you for joining us on Rhythms for Life today to just help our listeners and parents who might walk through their own loneliness right now, or maybe it's a loved one, or maybe it's a 10-year-old in their home or a 15-year-old who's just kind of expressed some of those first feelings, and you've given us some good things to think about and also to practice to to be a part of the solution and the healing in their life. So we appreciate you being with us. I appreciate it, kid. Thank you. I love that conversation so much. I know. I missed having you in it, but I know you enjoyed listening back and just hearing, you know, that whole conversation. And anybody who has a focus on helping us walk out of our trauma into healing matters. And I think I was encouraged that we all are invited into that. First steps, acknowledging that we've been through something very significant. 
and then taking these steps uh, towards healing. One of those steps you can take is RebeccaLyons.com slash quiz where you can learn what is your healthiest way of surrendering. And that's not an easy thing to do. We're in a world where we want more control and less surrender. That's sort of the world's way. But God's way is to say, give it all to me. Like, Do you open, trust me? Yeah, open your hands. Do you trust me? And so I'd encourage you, go go check that out. Make that maybe a conversation point around the dinner table with your family. Have them do it as well so that we can all just sort of see where do we naturally lean into God and where are those areas we hold back? Yes, I love that. And as you grab this book by Mark, um, it's the way, this path out of loneliness. As you start to feel that you're not alone, make sure that you invite other people into that conversation as well. 